The scripture reading this evening comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and as many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, uh, excuse me, if, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. So uh, I realize that, you know, Christmas time and Christmas season, uh, there's obviously a lot of Christmas movies. I love watching Christmas movies. But even within Christmas movies, I found that there are a whole set of sub-genres that would be classified as Christmas movies, like the old... Uh, rom-com Christmas movies, so the romantic comedies that make up Christmas movies. So I'm kind of just trying to set this tee up to ask you the question, what's the greatest romance story uh, that you guys are familiar with? At least uh, in the, the 21st century, uh, the greatest love story that I'm familiar with, again, is that of me pursuing my bride. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details. You guys have heard it plenty of times, but uh, let me hit it just from a slightly different angle. Uh, when Amy and I first got reacquainted and when we first started going on friend dates, I would just describe it as that. It was wonderful. Uh, we would meet up. We would share a meal. Sometimes we would go out to church together and then go to some place and just sit and talk about what we were learning for quite a while. Uh, by the end of all of it, when I knew I nearly had her, I took her for a ride on the back of the hog. I put her on the back of my Buell Blast, and we drove around the countryside of Missouri. 
but we were present with one another. It was wonderful. It was great. I was able to look at her in the eye. Every once in a while, there would be that, uh, as us youth ministers would describe it, the spark that would occur when hands would brush one another. Y'all may know about the spark. And we just had such a great time being present with one another. Well, right before all of this would uh, come to a head and Amy and I would declare our undying love for each other, no, it wasn't so drastic, but right before that would happen, we would have a really big test. We would have a really big uh, struggle introduced to what was potentially building as this young romantic love. I moved away for four months. So right in the beginning of us dating, right in the beginning of us starting a relationship, uh, I went to Virginia for a four-month-long internship, and Amy remained in St. Louis. And so, uh, I think if we were both being honest, there was a little bit of uh, trepidation. There was a little bit of, you know, hey, are we going to make it four months long distance? We're young. I'm good-looking. There's going to be girls at this church. I'm an intern. They're going to want to say what's up to me. Um, So, we had all of that there, and we talked on the phone every single night. And we texted every single day. And if I remember correctly, I think there may have been even a few letters written to each other. So we had each other's words written down. And then we spoke to each other at least at night. But man, it just it wasn't the same, was it? It wasn't the same as actually being present with one another. I miss being able to sit across from the table with Amy, look her in the eye, and have a conversation with her. By the time we were dating, I missed holding her hand. And if I'm really honest, I miss making out. I missed all of those things uh, when Amy and I were not present with each other physically. You see, again, I tell you this story to try to set up uh, the romantic feelings that maybe we've had if you've ever longed for somebody else. But really, whether it's not another person, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. If there's ever been anything in your life that you have really, really longed for, I think that I could prove in Scripture that ultimately the thing that you were looking for, the thing that your heart ultimately desired, whether you could have named this or not, was Jesus. You see, the saints of old in the Old Testament, they had a longing for Jesus, and they certainly did not know his name. After Jesus died and then bodily rose again, his first followers, and then his church would long for him. And then we can look at the last 2,000 years of church history. Uh, We can see that we still, even though we are His church, even though we are given His mission to make Him known uh, throughout His creation, we don't get it right all the time. And oftentimes we screw up. And so even here, even now in this room, we have this longing. We have this longing for Jesus. And again, uh, I think the two messages, the two themes that should be present, that are present throughout Advent, is both longing and joy. Longing that he would be present with us again the way that uh, he once was when he came at his first Advent. But joy, joy knowing that we have this great eternal hope that nothing can separate us from the love of God as given through us in Jesus Christ. But on but on this somewhat final night of Advent, and, and this is our really our kind of Christmas Eve service uh, as we're doing the full worship service here today, I want us to be aware of this. Yes, we long for the presence of Jesus, but there's good news 
even here right now, even this evening amongst ourselves. And the good news is this. Jesus is present through his body. Jesus is present through his body. And so this evening, we're going to look at three points. We're going to talk about the need for a body, the work of the body, and the gift of Jesus. The need for a body, the work of the body, and the gift of Jesus. All right, so this first point. Uh, what is the need for a, a body, and what do, I, what do I even mean by that? Well, let me go ahead. If you are one to take notes, let me give you the, the note that you should be taking. God desires to have a body going as far back as Genesis chapter 3, so that he may be present. God has a need for a body to be present amongst his people. And so again, we could trace the whole story of redemption. We could go back to when things got screwed up. When we first rebelled against God and our first parents said, no, they don't want God to reign, they wanted to reign. God said, one day I will come, I will send someone in bodily form. He will be a child of Eve and he will come and he will make all things right. As redemptive history began to unfold, God uh, began to prepare a people, a physical nation, a physical nation that he may dwell amongst them. And, and even there amongst this physical nation, uh, he, he created, and uh, we'll call it this, he created a religion, a religion that centered around showing up at the tabernacle first and then eventually the temple. And why would people need to do that, show up at both the tabernacle and the temple? Because that's where God was present. Uh, we know this from Scripture, but God is a spirit. But again, he made it clear that his presence was going to be located at the tabernacle and at the temple. But so that he could put some flesh to it, and we might be able to know and understand uh, who God is and how God works and what he cares about, in this religion that required his people to go to his tabernacle or temple to worship him, he created offices, the offices of priest, king, and prophet. That's what we've looked at the last three weeks, right? How in some way, shape, or form, the priests were to show the people, here's who God is. The king absolutely was to show the people, here's who God is. And then even the prophets now, not any one of them. The priests couldn't fully grasp the fullness of God. Uh, the, the prophets certainly couldn't grasp the fullness of God and show the people what God looks like in the flesh. And the kings, we know the kings didn't do it. They failed again and again and again. And so as the people of God in the Old Testament had this longing, had this desire to be present with God, to be in the presence of God— we see that more or less in the Old Testament. There are sometimes a few moments, a few seasons and periods where God is present and moving amongst the people and it's glorious and it's beautiful and it's worth celebrating. But for the most part, it's a big disaster. The people who are called uh, to show the rest of the world, here's what God in the flesh looks like, uh, the way that we are a people to one another, the way that we love and care for one another, the way that we do these things. The people of God in the Old Testament struggled with this. God, all the way back in Genesis 3.15, when he lost all that he had created, he said, one day I'm going to come in body 
in order to get things right. And then here we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's not just here in chapter 12. In fact, if we look through the whole book of 1 Corinthians, and as a church, we might preach through this whole book uh, after we finish Exodus, but this idea is repeated again and again and again. We, we are the body of Christ. Let me read verses 12 through 14 again. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Remember, Jesus ultimately is the fulfillment uh, of all the promises of God. I know I'm going to get it confused whether it's 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, but I know in one of them it says this, that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. So the priest, the king, the prophet that the people of God longed for was present in Jesus. But notice, even when God showed up physically, when he was in bodily form, it wasn't, he wasn't bad in a thousand. It wasn't that every single person that he encountered, it wasn't every single person who walked and talked and spoke with Jesus said, ah, oh, this is it. This is God in the flesh. I want to worship him. I want to follow him. I want to know him. No, even when God was present in the flesh, he was still being rejected. The first book that we preached through uh, as a church was the Gospel of John. I don't know if you guys remember, but at the end of the Gospel of John, when Jesus is having his final conversation with his closest friends, his 12 followers, he says, listen, it is good for you. It is good for you that I go to the cross. It is good for you that I die, and it's good for you that I will be resurrected. Not just for the, for the cleansing and forgiving of sins, not just for that, but because after I do what I have been called to do, I will send to you the Helper. I will send to you the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, we are told this. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? You see, again, the presence of God that the people had to travel far and wide to get to. The presence of God that was a barrier that uh, many people could not actually go and experience. Namely, you and I, Gentiles, those who were not born of Jewish descent, uh, not women, not children. So many people were, were uh, kept away from the presence of God. But Jesus says, it is good it is good that I should go away because I will send the helper. And then Paul, in understanding the significance of all of this, understanding the significance that the Spirit of God dwells in us, we learn this. God is present. The body that he always sought to have to make himself known to his people and to make himself known to his world. Well, even here in Westerville, Ohio, 2,000 years later, with the small group that we have, he is present in his body because we are his body and the spirit indwells within us. And so we learn a number of things. 
we learn a couple things here in this text. And, and the first one, I think it's this. It's something that's a little bit intellectual. And, and I hope it's more than intellectual. I hope that it's heart. But here's the thing. In our longing, in our darkness, in all the places that we go to, I know at at least some point in our hearts or in our lives, we have said, God, if you are real, would you show yourself to me? God, if you are real, would you be present? Would you make yourself known? And I think the first thing, when we look at verses 12 through 14, when we look at verse 20, when we see that God is present through his body, even here, even now, he's present through us, I think the first thing that we learn about God in this text is that he wants to be present even when our first parents screwed up, one of the first things that he says is, I will be present in body one day again. I will undo all of this. So for us, the times where we don't want God to be present, the times that we've screwed up, where we've done shameful things that we're embarrassed of, when we've said mean and cruel things and we don't want God to be present, don't you see even in those moments, he wants to be present with us. God wants to be present with you, not just this holiday season, but he wants to be present with you always. He's never too far off because, Lord willing, we are never too far off from each other. We have each other, and he dwells in us. Therefore, God is present even now here in his body. That's the first point. The second point that we're going to see here is the work of the body. So it is Christmas season, and I'm intentionally trying to, you know, use the pun on the, on the word presence. So uh, let me go ahead and just throw it out there. What is the work of the body? The work of the body is to show presence. The work of the body, the work that God has called us to, is to show presence. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to make it actually really simple. The first people that God has called us to show presence to, who he is, what he looks like, what he cares about, values, loves, how he views the world. The first people we are called to show presence to, we'll just say it like this, are those who are not followers of Jesus, those who are outside of the body. John 13 verses 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Again, uh, we had a whole sermon on that, right? But uh, it's quite a statement. It's quite a heavy burden that Jesus has given us, right? But, but if we almost go like what is being inferred and what Jesus says there, it's, hey, if there are people who are not Christians and they look at the way that we relate to one another and they say, ah, the church, I don't want to have anything to do with that, We've screwed it up. And I'm not saying us, but I'm talking about the church as a whole, right? And I'm thinking Westboro Baptists, and maybe they're not even Christians. I don't know. Um, all of those things, right? But, but we have not been perfect in this, have we? We have not been perfect in the way that we are called to love one another and caring for one another and showing up for one another. Yet that is the call that he has placed on us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And the way that we relate to one another, the way that we communicate, the way that we serve and care for one another, it's first to show the, show the presence of God to those outside of the body. But then, frankly, it's to show the presence of God to each other. 
I'm back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And then Paul goes on a little bit before and then a little bit after. But he gives this whole analogy. The body is meant to work together. If we're not all exercising our gifts, if we're all not uh, working together towards a common good, if we're all not together, something is not working. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. If one of us is suffering, we should know how somebody is suffering. If some of us are joyful, we should know how some of us are, are joyful, and we should be with one another in the midst of all of that, whether in great suffering or whether in great joy. The way that we relate to one another, the way that we, uh, again, care for one another, we are to be doing the work of the body. We are to be showing each other who God is, who God looks like, how God cares for us, how God loves us. We could read in other places of Scripture, Jesus says, if you give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, it's as if you served me. Jesus, in other places of Scripture, says, you are my hands and my feet. Make myself known. As his body, not only are we called to make God known to others by the way that we love each other, we are to constantly be reminding each other of the love of God by the way we relate to each other. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am present. One of my professors, uh, one of my professors in seminary, his name was uh, Robert Yarbrough. Every single year, and this was a legitimate thing, he used to work in Chicago, but he would go on a mission trip over to the Sudan, and he would go with a team of um, We'll just call them short-term missionaries. And one of the main things that they would do is they would go over to the Sudan and they would do medical missions. Well, this team, they had a very unique skill set, uh, specifically everybody but my seminary professor. Uh, they were all eye doctors and, from what I understand, eye surgeons. And so, uh, as part of this, they would literally fly from Chicago, uh, Illinois, all the way over here to, you know, the Sudan in Africa, and they would bring with them about 20 human eyes at a time. And when they got to the Sudan, uh, they would perform eye transplants. Now, from what I understand, uh, a human eye, uh, without being part of the body, it could only live for so long. Uh, the time literally started running uh, the second that, you know, it was removed, it was detached, it was put on ice. I don't know all those details. I'm not a doctor. Uh, but however they preserved it, there was a set amount of time. If the eye was not uh, returned to a body in X amount of time, it would have withered and it would have perished and it would have died. And so he told us the story about one trip and going over to the Sudan. Uh, they ran into all kinds of trouble with customs. And they kept trying to say, hey, we're here to try to help. We're here to try to love. Hey, we only have a certain amount of time. It's all set up in your hospitals. But we have to get there before these eyes expire. And then, again, my, my seminary professor, he was not a surgeon. He was the preacher on the trip, so uh, he didn't have any expertise in this. But he said he walked outside and he began praying that God would move and that they would be able to get past customs so that they could do one of the reasons that they were uh, over there. And he was overwhelmed by the heat. He was overwhelmed by the dryness. He was overwhelmed by the, the geography of the region. 
And then he said that he realized this is what 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about. These eyes, if they were exposed to the environment, if they were exposed to the world, uh, again, without care, without having a body to shelter them, well, they wouldn't exist at all. The eyes have a really valuable purpose. They show us the world. Eyes help us to see, and that's what Paul is getting at here. Hey, eyes are a great thing, but if they're not connected to a body, they don't work. And so, too, for each of us of our own different gifts, we are meant to show the presence of God to each other. And so whether our gifts are hospitality, whether it's encouragement, leadership, administration, discernment, we can keep going on, right? All the different gifts that are, that are named throughout Scripture, but the picture that we get here in 1 Corinthians 12 is that, hey, we are all needed. We are all valuable. Let me go so far. And I don't know if you're going to hear me say this too often in many sermons, but I think it's right here in the text. You are special. 1 Corinthians 12, I I believe it's verse 20. I didn't write it down in my notes. Um, Nope, it's not right there. Right here in one of these, and that's so, that's so, such a bummer that I didn't write this down in my notes. But, uh, Paul makes it abundantly clear, God has chosen us. He has made it clear that the gifts that he gives us, whatever they may be, they are chosen by God. So again, whatever gifts that you have, whether it's teaching, whether it's hospitality, whatever gifts that you have, know that God is the one who has given them to you. God has designed you. He has created you. And our God does not make mistakes. You are needed. You are needed to show us. You are needed to show me. You are needed to show the world who Jesus is. May you use your gifts. May you exercise your gifts that you may uh, show the world and show each other the more glorious way, as Paul alludes to at the end here of chapter 12, that you may show the world the love of God. What is the work of body, of the body, to show presence? Finally, main point three, we see the gift of Jesus. Now, this point, I'm I'm about to not actually say anything new here because I feel like I've more or less covered it so far, but uh, it it does uh, bear repeating. What is the gift of Jesus? Well, it's his presence amongst us. Because I'm a pastor and because my family lives in St. Louis and travel and all of that, uh, the last couple years, Amy and I have decided that, hey, it's just easier, it's a little bit more convenient for our family if we celebrate the exchanging and giving of gifts a little bit early. Uh, So we did that this morning. And we had a, a number of gifts that we gave our daughter, Charlie. And I have to say, and I've told it to many of you before, but being a parent... I feel like I'm experiencing the magic of Christmas all over again. I really, really look forward to uh, opening presents. Sure, because I want my own. Uh, but also to see the joy on my little girl's face when she gets to open up something new and, and literally looks at a new gift and goes, wow. Uh, it just, it does. It feels magical because I love my child and I love to give her gifts. And we see this in Scripture. God relates to us as father to child. 
uh, we see Jesus, he even says in talking about that, he says, listen, you, you love to give your children gifts. How much more so does God love to give us gifts? And we're told, I believe we're told even here in 1 Corinthians that God has given us gifts. In verses 27 through 31, we begin to see a list of the spiritual gifts that God gives us. We could go to other places in Scripture, whether we look at um, parts in Ephesians. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 14, has another somewhat of a comprehensive list. Uh, and we see that there are these gifts, these spiritual gifts, that God gives to His, pe- his people. But here's the thing. Here's the twist. Oftentimes, I think we think of spiritual gifts as perhaps an ability, maybe a, a personality quirk that used to the right, uh, right degree, it actually is a really big strength, and it's really encouraging and good for other people. But I think if we look at the text, whether it's here in 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31, or Romans 12, or the other places where spiritual gifts are listed in Scripture, you see, it's not just a personality thing. It's not just um, uh, a natural inclination. It's not just, you know, something that God hands us. You see, the spiritual gifts that he gives his body, that he gives to his people, are people. It's not that you have the gift of administration. It's that you are an administrator. You as a person are an administrator. It's not just that you have the gift of teaching, but that you as a person are a teacher. We could keep going on looking through the different gifts. You are an encourager. You are uh, hospitable. You are these things. But spiritual gifts, they're not something that we can pick up on the ground and say, now that I have it. No. Spiritual gifts are people. So don't you see, you know, this Christmas season, this Advent season, when we give one another gifts and we remember the work and we celebrate and joy that God has come to us, we see that not only has He come to us, but He's given us gifts, each other. We are God's gifts to each other, not just at Christmas time, but through at all times. So let's be honest about that. You know, let me just put it this way. I got some good news and some bad news. One of the greatest gifts that God will ever give us is each other. That's the good news. One of the greatest gifts that God will ever give us is each other. That's the bad news. Uh, It's both, right? Because at times, and we talked about it before, but we don't get it right. Even now, when we have this whole theology about it, God wants a body. He has a body. God is present amongst us but we don't always do it well, whether we're showing the outward out, uh, world the love of God or whether we're showing each other the love of God. We struggle with this, do we not? But we opened uh, our, our service this evening with a call to worship, a call to worship from Revelation chapter 21. Remember how I said the whole trajectory of Scripture, the whole story of Scripture is that God is seeking a body that he may physically dwell with his people. And hear these words again that we know where the story is going. Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. You see, I think uh, verse 4, if we were to kind of put it into perspective for Advent, along that list, no more tears, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. I think in the midst of that, we could also add this, no more longing. Remember, all of our longings, everything that we want, good or bad, ultimately, I think if we peeled it back and if we looked at the true thing that we were looking for in that given moment, it is Jesus. That we can sit across from him at the table. That we can brush hands and feel the spark, and not in a romantic way, that's weird, but it's God. Um, But that we would be present with him. He's promised us this. One day, he will return. One day, we will have this. Uh, We'll have the gift of Jesus physically and presently uh, amongst all of us. But until then, until then, we are what we got. We are called to be Jesus to one another. So I think the final thing that we learn as we look to our Lord who has given up everything that we may know his presence, that we may know his love. As we realize that we are called his gifts, we are his gifts to one another. As we are aware of these things, I hope we get two things. I hope that this increases our longing for Jesus. Again, only he can truly meet our needs the way that we need them. Only Jesus can truly solve and fix the problems of the world. It's not another king. It's not another priest. It's not another prophet. It's Jesus, him and him alone. But as we wait for him to return, as we we wait for Jesus to come and make all things right, as we learn that we are Christ's gifts to one another, here's what I hope this Advent season. I hope that our love for one another would grow. I hope that we would love one another in such a way that we would realize, ah, we, as we are in community, as we are in relationship, as we carry one another's burdens, as we celebrate one another's joys, as we do life together broken and ugly and as hard as it is, as we do this, we show one another the presence of God. God himself says this, we to each other are his gifts in the here and now, as his gifts to each other. May we love one another as he has loved us. Let's pray.